The reading today is taken from Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. He will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink, without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I wonder who we are remembering on Remembrance Day. Perhaps it's more than just those who gave their lives in two world wars and the conflicts since then. Certainly uh, some of us in the time of quiet reflection and silence may remember those that we have loved and lost. But I also remember previous Remembrance Days. My earliest childhood memories uh, involved a, a local memorial that for some reason unknown to me then suddenly sprouted little wooden crosses and red poppies once a year. The memorial seemed like an ancient monument with names inscribed on it from a bygone era. But then, as a young man serving in the army, Remembrance Day took on a new meaning. Now, I don't know if any of you have visited the memorial chapel at the Royal Academy at Sandhurst, Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst, But uh, from a distance, as you walk in, you just see what looks like very fine decoration on all the pillars and all the walls. It was a sobering experience as a 19-year-old officer cadet to realize that these decorations were, in fact, on closer inspection, the names of all those academy graduates who had been killed in the First World War, thousands upon thousands of them. But after my first tour in Northern Ireland, it became personal. I was able to remember soldiers who I had set out with on a rickety old Wessex helicopter 
on a grey, drizzly afternoon from RAF Aldergrove and flown down to a little rural market town called Cross Maglen in South Armagh, who had not lived to catch the same helicopter out of that dark, desolate and depressing base. Recent memories are of watching the parade at the Cenotaph, always immaculately done, organised by the Household Division, and uh, seeing the depleted ranks of the First World War and Second World War veterans being replaced by young men and women less than half my age, bearing the brutal conflicts, uh, bearing the signs of the brutal conflicts that our servicemen and women are now engaged in. And of course, in our own church family, we have a good handful of ex-servicemen come out of the woodwork once a year. That's, that's very untrue. You're always very visible most of the year. And uh, both young and old, we've got two uh, lovely couple who've done Alpha, uh, both young servicemen, uh, and plenty of retired. George, who read the first line of our Binion reading, was an RAF wireless technician in North Africa in the Second World War. Doug is still serving uh, in the Royal Naval Reserves as, a, as an anaesthetist uh, in the rank of commander. Uh, Dennis, who read our lesson, served, and so did Jim. And I know there are many more of you here, including civil servants who served in some dangerous places. I imagine both George and Doug can recall servicemen and perhaps women who they have met who did not make it back alive. And so we're gathered to remember these brave people and to give thanks for their sacrifice. We cannot help but also remember those that we have loved and lost not perhaps on the field of battle, but closer to home and whose deaths have left gaping holes in our lives. And as many of you will know, these last 18 months or so have seen some of our congregation call to heaven. And I think it perfectly right and natural that we think of them and those they have left behind. And of course, there's another reason why we remember, because if we forget, we risk history repeating itself when the Supreme Commander of the Allied Forces in World War II, General Dwight Eisenhower, found the victims of the death camps, he ordered all possible photographs to be taken and for the people from surrounding villages to be ushered through the camps and even made to help bury the dead. He did this because he said, get it all on record now. Get the films, get the witnesses, because somewhere, someone down the track of history, some beep, 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 will get up and say that this never happened. And of course, that is what the president of Iran, amongst other people, have recently said, that the Holocaust was a myth. And so we have many memorials to past conflicts around the world. Every village green virtually must have its own little cenotaph. And in the largest British war cemetery in the world, at Tynecott, there are nearly 12,000 graves registered. The sheer number makes it just hard to take in. On the wall at the back of the cemetery are the names of 35,000 soldiers who have no known grave and who died in the closing months of the war. Inside the cemetery, two mourning angels on top of dome-covered pavilions at either end of the memorial wall, highlighting the harrowing nature of the conflict in this area that is known as Passchendaele. Two German blockhouses can be seen, and the guidebook advises visitors that 
Through the blockhouse to the right of the entrance gate, one can see the cross of sacrifice, which makes an excellent photograph. But I wonder just how many think, when they click the shutter release of their cameras, of who made that sacrifice. I suspect most would think of the soldiers buried thereabouts and forget about the one for whom the cross is a sign of his sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice for all of us, for all our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is what the cross of sacrifice is all about. It is about Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross. He died in our place, taking our sins on his shoulders so that we might live. Unless you think I'm being a little unfair in trying to disassociate this cross from the sacrifices of all those fallen heroes, let me reassure you that that precious cross was for them and is for us now and will be for those who follow us a sign of hope. A hope that is for those who follow Christ unshakable, even if at times it may seem distant. It was for me when in the company of a policeman in an austere mortuary when I identified the bodies of two people whom I loved dearly, a sign of hope a hope of the resurrection, a hope of eternal life, a hope of a new and better life to come, a hope that whilst lives are snuffed out here, sometimes in an instant, perhaps as a bomb goes off, a bullet is fired, or as a lorry hits a car head on, or is slowly drained away, sometimes over many months or even years of agonizing illness, It's a hope that as the litany goes, for those who believe in thee, O Lord, life is but changed, not taken away. It is a hope of a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. In other words, a world that is a far cry from the broken and painful world that we inhabit. It's a world I am really excited about seeing, but just not yet. It is this future hope. It is this hope of a better future. Indeed, this perfect world that has sustained millions upon millions of Christians down the ages. And some consider this assurance arrogant. How do you know you're going to heaven? I mean, gosh, look at you. You're... Call yourself a Christian? How do you know you're going to get to heaven? So-and-so is much better than you. They may not be a Christian, but if anyone's going to heaven, it's going to be them. But this assurance is based on solid, straightforward promises in Scripture. But to grasp these promises and to take hold of that future hope, we must recognize one crucial thing. We must understand that the wonderful, perfect relationship that we enjoyed with God at the very beginning of creation was broken. It was fractured because of our rebellion, our desire to go our own way, 
to do things our own way, to live without reference to him. Well, people may object, and they do, with this analysis because we consider ourselves good, moral, upstanding, upright, honest individuals. But as John writes in his first letter, if we claim to be without sin, we we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And this truth is restated by Paul in Romans 5, where he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what do we do? How do we recover from this fractured relationship with God and regain that walk, that intimacy with God? Well, we have to do what many of us have done, many soldiers have done, and hopefully, God willing, will continue to do when we are confronted by our own mortality. The reality, and I'm sure many of you can join with me in sort of remembering back into the distant past is that as a young person particularly as a young man you feel immortal I can remember doing completely crazy things we were in the attic in my brother's house in Wales where lots of my stuff is stored and my daughter found a photograph of me jumping out of a scout helicopter into a jungle pool in Borneo from 80 feet naked apart from a pair of boots I wasn't drunk I just thought it would be really, really, a really cool thing to to do. I I just, you know, there could have been a tree underneath the water. You know, the water was completely, you know, mud-like. We do crazy things. We think we're immortal. But there comes a time when fear gets a little foothold in our heart. There's a niche in our heart that fear fills. And when the reality of death is apparent... And then things change. Brave young men and women start to ask themselves, what will happen if I die? And so it is that some of the most powerful services, if you can call them that, that I've ever attended have been those held in cramped canteens in some security base, some heavily defended concrete enclad security base where men have gathered in fear to hear this amazing message of hope. In those circumstances, quite a few put their faith and trust in God, knowing that no one else is going to save them. If we believe in Jesus' death and resurrection and accept the gift of his saving grace, then there is no longer any condemnation. The sin that has separated us from our God the Father is gone. Our relationship with God is restored. Indeed, Jesus says we can call on him, Abba, Father, words of wonderful intimacy. Then and only then can we be sure of this future hope of being one day in a place where there is no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. Christ will banish once and for all that which cut our relationship with God in the Garden of Eden and that has blighted humankind ever since, sin and evil. And with Satan gone forever, we can once again enjoy the creation relationship with God that Adam and Eve did and as God intended it to be.
And all this is on offer for us. We just need to acknowledge Jesus and ask him to be our Lord and Savior. It is that simple yet immeasurably powerful. I'm going to end with a short poem um, that we, we had read last year, but it's so powerful I thought I'd read it again this year, that was found on the body of an American soldier killed in Italy in 1944. And it says it all so simply and so movingly. This soldier took that simple step of inviting God into his life. And although he then lost his life, he gained so much more. So here it is. Look, God, I have never spoken to you, but now I want to say, how do you do? You see, God, they told me you didn't exist, and like a fool, I believed all of this. Last night from a shell hole, I saw your sky. I figured right then they had told me a lie. Had I taken the time to see things you made, I'd have known they weren't calling a spade a spade. I wonder, God, if you would shake my hand. Somehow I feel that you will understand. Funny, I had to come to this hellish place before I had time to see your face. Well, I guess there isn't much more to say, but I'm sure glad, God, I met you today. I guess that zero hour will soon be here, but I'm not afraid since I know that you're near. The signal. Well, God, I'll have to go. I like you lots. This I want you to know. Look now, this will be a horrible fight. Who knows, I may come to your house tonight. Though I wasn't friendly with you before, I wonder, God, if you would wait at your door. Look, I'm crying, me, shedding tears. I wish I had known you these many years. Well, I will have to go now. God, goodbye. Strange, since I met you, I'm not afraid to die. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the supreme sacrifice that you paid for us on the cross. Thank you that by your blood we have life, we have life to the full, and we have eternal life. Father, we, we thank you for the gift of salvation, and we just particularly pray in this short moment of all those around the world, whether they're in conflict, out of conflict, living on the edge of conflict or suffering through the results of conflict. We pray for all those people who do not yet have hope in you. We pray, Father, for people to reach out to those, to bring them the hope of your gospel message. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.